You're listening to the Guildhall School Events Podcast, where today we're talking to cast and crew of The Secret Rapture, our very first drama production for the new autumn 2015 term. I'm very pleased to welcome director Stephen Unwin, cast members Rose Dolby and Bessie Carter, sound designer Tom Bosworth and lighting designer Tom Salmon. Maybe we should um, start off with uh, our new third year actors, um, Rose and Bessie. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the play. So there's sort of two quite estranged sisters who, um, after their father's death, they come together to sort of try and sort out the repercussions of what's happened and essentially they have completely different moral standings on everything. Um, And there's also a stepmother who needs a home a younger um, stepmother, yeah. a threatening younger stepmother. And it's just sort of the kind of conflicted journey between these two sisters trying to figure out what the best thing for their futures individually and together would be. So trying to stay as a family. And, and I think also the time when the play was written as well, it was a time when people were choosing diff- very different ways of living. You know, it was very much about money and power and this kind of growing capital world and I think Marion who who I'm playing um she lives by a set of values which are completely different to Isabel's and mm-hmm. so when they are forced together to deal with a crisis it's those those different values are kind of questioned and tested and I think that's where it all kind of blows up mm. and um you, you're right in saying that it's um it was set in 1980s Britain or the original mm-hmm. was is that is that still the case well, we aren't doing a Aspects. look at our 80s piece thing. We're, we're, we're doing hints of 80s. We're not doing shoulder pads mm-hmm. and big hair. Um, but obviously there's the, the political side of it is can still be seen as relevant, slightly relevant now, and certain aspects, especially with the, you know, the family drama, that's, I think, relevant. It's timeless, really. Um, but I'm not the designer, so I, I'm just acting. <laughs> Interestingly, we do have... The designers here today, uh, lighting designer Tom Salmon and sound designer Tom Bosworth, the two Toms, uh, which I'm not getting confused about at all. Um, Tom Bosworth, uh, can you tell us a bit about the sound design and how the the setting in the 80s has influenced it or not influenced it? Um, I don't think that any of the sound design, especially and probably the lighting design as well, um, really hints at any time period, specifically with the sound design, because all that is really involved is more sort of um, ambient soundscapes or spot effects. We've got two sort of very uh, opposing soundscapes. So one of them's a very natural um, sort of countryside soundscape. So we've got birds and sort of slightly farmy sounds in the background. And then another one is um, right in a flat in the middle of the city. So we've got cars driving past and sirens and dogs barking around and do you in terms of creating those how do, how do you go about it do you just find little clips in in libraries and stick stick them all together yeah there's a there's a mixture between um recording your own uh finding them off the internet um we've got access to a quite a large sound effects library here at the school um and stealing them from other people and other places <laughs> um so i've done a, a mixture of that with both of them Brilliant. And do you, how closely do you work with Stephen, who's sat quietly in the corner here, um, on uh, on the sound that you create? Um, I think we've worked closer with the music, trying to sort that out, um, than with 
many of the other effects or scapes. We'll see. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we've not yet got into the technical rehearsal. When we got into the technical rehearsal is when we'll start, I'll start hearing the stuff and then we'll be able to make a clearer judgment of it. Sound is funny because you can listen to it on headphones. It's interesting. But you don't really know how it's going to work until you, until you listen to it connected with what you're watching and with light and then the whole thing comes together and then you go... Well, those birds can be a little bit louder or, or, or we need more atmosphere of a car driving past or whatever it is. Um, I always think, I always say to sound designers, bring everything as much as you can bring and then we'll strip it out until we get to the, what really, really tells, mm. tells the story. I think it's as well because I've been, I've designed it in uh, 4.1 surround, so like a DVD would be or a Blu-ray or something like that. Um, that you really notice the difference yeah. when you go from headphones to actually getting in the space and hearing things around you. So we have Tom Salmon here, who's the lighting designer. And Tom, I just wanted to ask you a bit about the design um, and how you've been involved in helping it come to life on stage. What sort of process do you go through from concept to stage? Uh, so my first, my first start, I first start by reading the script and getting a good understanding of the script. Uh, I then go through and put jotting initial ideas down of what I think would look nice on stage, just all what I imagine to look nice. Uh, then it starts. I start seeing the runs and seeing how it's blocked and how it's staged and getting a better concept of how the what the director's looking for. Um, after that, I start I start to put it onto Vectorworks and uh, put all my lanterns in and think what's what's going to do what and get all my general cover sorted. Uh, then I go back to rehearsal again. What's general cover? Sorry, so gen- <laughs> uh, general cover. Assume we know nothing about about this. General cover is like a nice face light, so that all the actors can always be seen. Uh, so no dark spots, um, just so it gives a nice warm and cold wash across the stage, and you know you can always be seen, and it's not patchy and horrible. Um, so once I've done all that, I go back to rehearsals and get a deeper understanding of the play and what the director is really looking for, and I start to talk about my ideas with him and see if he agrees or agrees or disagrees, and if he likes my ideas or if he doesn't. And have you had many ideas that sort of get um, shut down <laughs> before you get the chance to sort of progress them? Not so much with this show. This show has been very... Uh, Stephen wants to see it in the space and then he's going to probably decide yes or no. Um, I had a design uh, director in the past who have been like, no, don't like it. And you're like, okay, great, I'll start again. Um, which is always a bit like, cool, I'll think of another idea. And you have to take it as a, it's not a problem, I'll just move on with it. You have to sort of become emotionally unattached to, yeah, you to whatever idea that you have. You yeah. can't get too deep with your with your ideas because otherwise, it just if they get cut, and you're like, no, I really want it. It just it's heartbreaking. So you kind of like don't let it happen too much until you know it's going to be safe in the in a production. Stephen, what what particularly grabs you about the Secret Rapture as a play? Well, <laughs> I'm the only person here who who c- can remember the '80s because I left university mm. in 1982. <laughs> so this feels like about my youth. Um, uh, uh, I think there's an interesting thing about the play, which it is... um, Mrs Thatcher famously said there is no such thing as society. And I think that what the play does is it it asks the question of whether there is such a thing as society. And the difference between um, a a communitarian attitude to the world for all its strengths, but also some of its weaknesses, which is what Rose's part uh, sort of represents. How do, you, how do you do good in the world? How do you help your neighbour? How do you be the good Samaritan? 
the, the interesting thing is, is that you can, and in, in this particular instance, how, what do you deal about an alcoholic? Do you help an alcoholic by giving the alcoholic drink? Or does the alcoholic need a, <laughs> need to, the, the bottle taken away from the alcoholic? So there's that on the one hand, that communitarian, supportive, in many ways loving, and in many ways fantastically positive spirit. But then there's another spirit altogether, which is individualistic, which is what are the morals? I don't know what morals are. I know that there are there are individuals who are dealing with themselves and trying to move on in the world, which is in a way what, what this other part Marion represents. And I remember that time, that crisis, that clash, felt extraordinarily powerful. It, it just was the period. That was the zeitgeist. The funny thing is, is that in a funny kind of way, so many of those things have now come back again. <laughs> so many of those issues, you can see what Jeremy Corbyn is saying on the one hand, what David, you know, in a way they're having this row all over again. And that row was forgotten about for 20 years in some ways, but it's now back with a, with a, with a vengeance. So the question about whether we're doing it in the 80s or whether we're doing it now, what I've said to the designers, including the, the, the stage designer, the visual designer, and I think I said to the actresses as well, is we're not having any obvious 80s references like big hair and shoulder pads, which I remember was so ridiculous. <laughs> did you have some? Well, I remember, I remember women who did, girlfriend who had them, um, and it was kind of preposterous. But, 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 but nor are we making it, you know, all about iPhones and stuff which, which didn't exist in the 80s, OK? So it's a kind of... It, it will feel like contemporary and modern, but not narrowly contemporary and modern. Um, it's not, it's, even though I know it's a long time, uh, you know, probably before some of these guys were born, it's not that long ago in terms of social history. It hasn't changed that much. So it's not like doing a play in the 1930s where the manners are completely different. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, probably in 30, 40 years' time, it will, it will feel very, very... There, we, what we haven't done is changed any of the text. So there are some references which only really work in, under Thatcher, and we haven't changed those. I'd quite like one day to talk to David Hare and say, why didn't you subtly rewrite it for for now, for, for 2000 and, you know, whatever year we're in, 15? <laughs> but we've not done that. Um, the play is, is fascinating. It's quite hard because it's... Um, there's a bit of it's Bernard Shaw they talk <laughs> and a discussion happens through it and what is, what is important to do is to make sure that the these brilliant students acting students are are speaking it but that that's got reality underneath it and it's got emotion and it's got guts and isn't just isn't just rhetoric um, so that's that that I think in some ways is the heart of the challenge if you like and uh, does anybody want to tell me what does the play's title mean? <laughs> what does it refer Probably to? It means different things for different characters. Well, like it, it covers everyone, you know. Um, I think Hare, David Hare stated that it was about a, a nun's ecstasy in the moment she's received by God at her death, which I think is relevant to Isabel. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ruin the story, so I'm going to hand it over to Isabel. <laughs> um, well, just like the ecstasy and, like, sexiness isn't the right word, but, like, of doing good and right and what you get back for it, which she doesn't get, but 
I don't know, I think it hints at that doing the right thing has, there's something about it that has connotations and... And how it can kill you. Yeah, and could can, can completely overwhelm you, take over you, like, become this, like, I don't know, surge of something that you, I don't know, that you experience, and but you know that you're doing right and good at the same time. But it also, the play also asks the question about to what extent is that doing right, is, is it also a kind of vanity, <laughs> mm. you know? The compl- it, it's mm. quite complex like that in an interesting way. So the, those are things that, 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 that draw me to it. Um, I found it quite a difficult play, actually, harder than, quite hard. Certainly when I was preparing, I found it hard to read. And I could read most plays, but because it felt a little bit rhetorical. But I think as we worked on it, more and more and more, it's feeling less and less rhetorical and more and more. And that's what we're working on the last few days, is really turning the heat up. And it's, it's quite unusual um, in some respects, uh, just at Guildhall, because I think it's quite a small cast, isn't mm. it? Was it five? Six. 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 Mm-hmm. And that, that's quite small for a Guildhall play, is it, is it not? Yeah. You shoved everyone into effect. Mephisto, which is happening a couple of weeks' time after you. Yeah, which is yeah. 20, 20 of the cast. Oh, yeah, I think it is the first time they've had such a small cast. Yeah. Six feet down to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nice, it's intimate, and it's yeah. nice not having a, you know, we don't have a huge team, we have just the people that we need, and a lot of them have been in, technical team have been in the room as well, so everyone's kind of aware of what's going on and what we're kind of aiming for. So it doesn't feel like we're going to plunge in on Monday at the tech and kind of and I, I suppose it, it probably makes you feel like you're a, a large cog in a in a small smaller machine or a large. We're machine. the roof. We're the roof. Yeah. We're the roof now. <laughs> we're the yeah. roofing. We're the tiles on the roof. No, it's it's um, yeah, it's exciting. I, mm. I like, and it's nice um, not having any classes anymore. We have once a week we have movement and voice, but it's nice that having your focus can completely go to this all day every day as opposed to dashing off for show dance and historical dance and voice or whatever. It also means that everybody's got a really big part. I mean, there are six really good parts. Mm. There's nobody playing a kind of coffinless spit, which, is, which means mm-hmm. there's more opportunities for... <laughs> more opportunities for learning, he says optimistically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, it's also your first public production mm-hmm, for indeed. all of you guys, um, mm. I guess. So um, do you feel any more nervous than, than normal or uh, have you not no, thought about it? A little bit. A little bit. No, I mean, from my point of view, well, just first of all, when, like, in second year, you get to that point when you hear the cast, they, they announce the two plays. So then silently for a good, like, month or so, you're like, oh, my God, Googling away. And then, and then you're like, put it at the back of your head and you don't think about it. Then the list goes up. And then we see that there's six of us and we're first. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I definitely had a, ooh, like, it's a responsibility, like, the six of us. You know, it's not the same as if the whole year we were all in the same room together. Like, I think we have made quite a big jump from where we left for summer. And coming back is a very different way of working and a very sort of... Um, I don't know, different approach. But because we have all the tools that we got given over the last two years, um, you know, after a couple of days it felt like normal and that this was just the next project. And what's interesting is the different audience that we're going to have because first and second year with the kind of showings, we call them showings, like project showings, it's just your fellow students or teachers or occasionally the odd intimate family friend or something... And so they're people who love you and know you and and want the best for you, which I think other this 
hopefully this audience will have, but this makes me feel a lot more determined just to kind of tell the story and actually, you know, do the piece as opposed to, oh, I've got to work on my voice in this project or this project is, I know that this is more about working on this specific type of language or this. And now you have to kind of take all of that and hopefully marry them all together and, and yeah. So I don't, I don't feel more... I feel excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and perhaps perhaps slightly less pressure, considering it's in the studio theatre, which has capacity of 100 and some, 120, 110 mm. or something, rather than being in Silk Street Theatre with uh, well, three times that. Yes, but we have... So we did a Greeks project mm. in Silk Street, and then uh, we've done... not saying we've done it, we know it, but we, but we have had experience in Silk Street and in the Milton Court. We've done various projects there. So And the studio, we only... We've worked there once. We did a first-year yeah. mystery plays project, which were erased from my memory. And um, <laughs> So we haven't really worked there that often, so actually I'm... I'm small theatre, just as difficult. Yeah. Small theatre, because you can't lie in a small mm. theatre. You can in a big theatre. Um, you really can't not be seen either. Yeah, and we're also doing a very stripped down, very very striking, I think, but very a production which is all about the acting. There's not tons of scenery trucking around. Um, it's very focused on the acting. So, yeah, they better be good. You know. Well, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys, and uh, thank you so much, uh, Bessie, Rose, the two Toms, uh, and Stephen for coming in and uh, being part of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you.